Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsion, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and thanks so much for tuning in on this episode about winter training. Yes, just like Game of Thrones, winter... I mean, I guess it's not only coming, it's here. Like, we're in winter. It's December right now. But we are just in the early throes of winter, right? And so whether you're in a super cold and snowy environment or whether you're in a place like me, like Phoenix, Arizona, where it's still nice weather out, but sometimes training in the mornings or the evenings can get a little chilly, this episode is going to be packed with tips on how you can optimize your winter training no matter where you're at so you can stay on track for your goals as you head into 2024 as well. One thing I do want to say is if you notice my voice is a little congested, that is because I have COVID currently. Yes, I unfortunately tested positive several days ago for COVID and I'm, I'm feeling okay, just a little congested, um, had a headache earlier on, but um, this is also a good piece of advice to start with the winter training is that is if you are going to get sick during this time frame, or if you do get sick, I should say, because tis the season for flu and strep and COVID now, um, here is probably one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give you. If you get sick, please do not run. Do not run. And I know it's going to be tempting to want to, and it's going to be frustrating to not do the training that you're set to do. But here's the reality. I've there studies have proven this and I've seen this many, many times before where if you run while you're sick, you can actually go ahead and push yourself further into a state of sickness. And also it's going to take you longer to bounce back from that sickness. And even when you run, your performance is going to be hindered to the point where there's pretty much going to be no benefits when it comes to running. And if anything, it's going to do something more harm than good. So just know that number one, it's not going to lead to any incremental benefits. In fact, it could even hurt your fitness because your heart rate's probably going to be elevated. You might not be breathing as correctly. So that's number one. Number two, um, the thing to note is you actually could push your sickness even deeper because training actually does diminish your immune system levels and your immune system needs to be strong to, to, to fight off whatever you're going through. So if you do run while you're sick, you actually do a disservice to your immune system. And thirdly, you can also increase your chance for injury because your body is not recovering the other areas as much as possible because now it's working to fight off either the virus that you have or the sickness that you have so it can't really deploy all of its other resources in any other area when it comes to recovering muscles and things like that so I say all this to say, um, tip number one right off the bat for winter training um, is if you get sick, do not run. Do not run. And the general rule of thumb that I even tell my clients and what I'm currently facing right now, and also, yes, just to let you know, I'm currently going through this right now. I just started Cocodona training literally last week. And um, yeah, I haven't ran in, in the past two days because I've had COVID and don't feel well. And um, 
yeah, and and that's the reality of the situation. So, um, but I'm taking this rule fully into effect. Um, and my rule of thumb is that when you have two days of no symptoms, then you can go out and run. And the reason why I say two days is because day one of no symptoms, you might be feeling good and ready to go, but you still might have a little bit of lingering sickness in it. And um, there has been times in the past where I, like way long ago when I was a younger, naive Joe, um, I would run when I was sick. And, um, and like what would happen was essentially like, I, I would think that, um, I was better on the last day and I was like, Oh no symptoms. And then I go out and run again. And then I come back and I'm like, why do I feel sick again? It's cause I wasn't actually fully healed. Whereas if you give yourself two days, generally you can see that, um, that you're, you're in the clear at that point. So that's the rule of thumb on there. Now, the one thing I'll also mention to, to kind of cap this whole thing off, cause I know I'm kind of going off about this is. If you are worried about losing fitness from the days that you're not training when you're sick, um, always remember this statistic or metric or whatever you want to call it. Fitness decay generally kicks in when you do two weeks of absolutely zero activity. And I mean zero activity. That means just rotting away on your couch, doing absolutely nothing, like not moving around for about two weeks. And generally, if for most people, you know, you might not be totally bedridden for two weeks while you're sick. I mean, in some extreme cases, you might be. But just to know that if you have to take off four to five days of nothing because you're you're sick, it's not going to decay your fitness. So just know that because I know that's always the biggest concern is like decaying fitness or anything like that. And also to just realize that, you know, four or five runs over the grand scheme of months of training isn't going to make a huge difference. So just know that as well. So those are the things that I like really give me peace of mind when I have to take time off, like when I'm sick, of course, it's still frustrating, but those are things I remind myself and to say like, okay, like I know that if I think that way, it's not going to be logical. So therefore there's that. So um, that's tip number one is if you get sick during the winter, um, do not run for those reasons. And I promise you, you're going to be better off and it's going to help you in the long run. So there's that little bit of a ramble there to start the episode, but it's super, super important to do so. The other thing I want to mention real quick, and this is a total side note, so apologies if this comes out of left field, but uh, a lot of you have applied for the Everyday Ultra coaching program that we had, and uh, I wanted to say that we currently have a full roster. So the roster is full, um, but if you are interested in getting on a wait list for Everyday Ultra coaching, and this is personalized coaching from me as your running coach, developing a plan to hit your ultra goals, if you want to get on the wait list, we are taking a, a chronological order of people to reach out to in case spots fill up. Um, all you got to do is email me everydayultrapodcast at gmail.com and go ahead and just, you can even just say in the subject line waitlist or anything like that. Um, if you want to include additional detail, that's great. I always love hearing from the listeners as well in terms of your background and everything. Um, and if you want to keep it short, you can always just put waitlist and I'll put you on there and we'll put you on a first come first serve list and we will reach out if any spots open up in the future. So I um, just want to let you know, cause I know I'm still getting requests and um, we started to open up a waitlist. So um, thank you all who reached out and who are interested in coaching too, by the way, I appreciate you a ton. And even if you can't get on the roster now, um, one thing I suggest is we have a totally 100% free Everyday Ultra newsletter, and you can go to the link in the show notes to sign up for that. Um, we're going to be sending out uh, ultra training tips, in-depth stuff, more deeper than the podcast um, into your inbox every single week. So feel free to subscribe to that for free. And again, if you want to get on the wait list, email everydayultrapodcast at gmail.com, um, and then I will send you the, or I will not send you, but I will put you on the wait list um, and we'll reach out in the order that your request came in um, when spots open up. So 
thank you all for the support. I appreciate you all so, so, so much. All right, now let's get into winter training. I already spent uh, a lot of this talking about sickness, but it, that is very important because people do get sick this time of year, hence me being a case study of that right now. Um, but anywho, winter training, right? So what are the things that come into factor with winter training? Well, the obvious thing, colder temperatures, right? If we're in a place where there's snow at the ground, we might not be able to access certain trails, right? Um, it gets darker earlier, right? Um, it's not as warm outside, right? And so there's a lot of different factors that go into winter training that um, we need to maneuver around in order to continue to have our goals if we are shooting for races that are maybe early next year, like Black Canyon or Canyon's 100K or any of those kind of races, um, or if we just want to start our build into summer races or late summer races, um, it can be tricky to navigate winter training no matter where you are. So I'm going to talk about some of the things and how to circumnavigate them so that you can ultimately get to where you want to be and optimize your training. So the first thing that I want to say, right? So uh, a lot of the times I get questions about this and I even have a lot of clients who are in the same boat who are, hey, I live in an area where there's a ton of snow or I live in there's an area where it's just so freezing outside and it's super dark and I'm not comfortable running at night and I can't get to the trails in the winter and everything like that. Um, here is the thing that can actually be a saving grace for you. And it is a principle that not only applies to winter training, but it applies to any type of training that you do. And that principle is fitness is king. Fitness is king. And this is the one thing that I always encourage athletes to put at the forefront of their mind when it comes to training for a race and something that I even tell myself. And so what do I mean by fitness is king? Here's what I mean by that is a lot of the times when it comes to a specific race we're training for, we can get really caught up in the specificity about the race, right? So if it's a very verty race, we can be like very, very hooked on like, oh, I need to focus on like getting in tons of vert every single week. And like, I need to focus on, you know, if it's a hot race, I need to focus on always training in the heat or you know if it's um a really technical race i need to focus on like getting all my runs on technical things now don't get me wrong it is 100 important and beneficial to have things in your training where you're focusing on specificity right so where you're focusing on climbing for a race with a lot of vert where you're focusing on hot runs if you are training in the race with the heat like those things are incredibly beneficial for your training However, here's the thing. When it comes to the things that are going to lead to success on race day, the specificity is an important part, but the more important part is the fitness itself. So what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is like you can be great at climbing, you can be great at vert, you can be great at technical trails, you can be great at all those different things that lead to the specificity on race day. However, it doesn't matter how good you are at those things if you're not fit enough to carry the distance or get the goal that you want to get. Fitness is king, right? Above all. And so that's going to lead to most of your success on race day because a lot of the times, like in order for you to finish, it's not necessarily a matter of like, can you handle all the vert or can you not? Can you do the technical downhills or not? And um, when really the reality is like, you can be good at those things, but if your body's not fit enough to handle the 50 miles, 100 miles that you are about to endure on one of your ultras, it doesn't matter how good you are at those things if you can't carry the distance. Now, a lot of the times, right? So I'm a big proponent. I'm getting core specificity. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great, but I always like to say the fitness is the most important. And so one of the things that really like 
opened my eyes up to this um, was it's a great example, right? When we think of guys like Jim Walmsley. Now, Jim Walmsley, if you're unfamiliar, he is he won UTMB this year. He's won Western States multiple times. He's the current uh, Western States course record holder. One of the greatest runners of our time for sure. And I'm sure a lot of you know, but for those who don't, um, Jim had been trying to win UTMB for years and years on end. And he always struggled at that race. So he actually moved over to France uh, over the course of a few years to train specifically in the mountains, specifically to the course itself, and ultimately um, increases chances to win UTMB. Now, that can be an argument against everything that I just said of saying, okay, well, Jim did this and he's the best in the world. Like he's getting as specific as possible and he won UTMB. Yes, 100%, but he's Jim Walmsley. And so what do I mean by that is that Jim Walmsley is fit. He doesn't have to worry about building fitness like because the dude is fit. He's one of the fittest athletes in the entire world. So when you get to a level where your fitness is confident enough to carry the 100 miles, the 50 miles, everything like that, then, you know, you can lean more on the specificity factor to get there as well. But um, Jim doesn't have to worry about fitness because he's fit. And so he like when it comes to the things that he needs to tweak to really get to the next level, specificity is that thing on there. Now, if you're trying to go for like a PR or especially if you're trying to go for your first uh, ultra at a given distance, um, you got to focus on fitness first. And so that is just one thing that I would say. So how the heck does this relate to winter training? You're like, Joe, why did you go down this rabbit hole? The reason why I went down this rabbit hole is because with winter training, we can get caught up in not getting in the vert that we need, not getting in the trail specific work that we need, not getting in the technical trails that we need that might be specific to the race that just aren't available in winter due to, um, let's just say the, you know, the, the darkness hours being earlier during the day or um, the snow that's plowed out on the trails, or maybe you're training for like a super hot race and it's pretty chilly outside. Those are things that, again, like... If you just focus on getting fit in the winter, it will translate. Fitness translates even if you're running on flat road to vert as well. Now, again, it's it's crucial to not mistaken this for saying that you shouldn't or don't have to get in training for vert during a race that has a lot of vert. I'm just saying that, you know, if you take a period, i.e. the winter, to train on a lot more flats than vert, and there is a way to train for vert in the winter, even if you can't get access to trail, which we'll talk about on here, um, but I'm just saying like you don't have to like totally chalk your race training up as like impossible or nearly tough to do or that you won't be prepared if you can't get on those kind of runs as often in the winter. Um, so like I said, running fitness will translate to you climbing better, even if it's on flats. Running even on flats will translate better to you even doing better in the heat. It will translate better to you doing better at any kind of aspect when it comes to trail running because fitness is king. Now, when you get to the point where you do have that fitness and you can work on the specificity, that is going to be the good part. And it's in fact, when it comes to really proper training principles, you do want to focus specificity more towards the end of the training block. And the reason why that is, is because you want to focus most of it beforehand on just getting fit. And so like when I even work with my athletes, a lot of the stuff like, you know, we'll do stuff that leads to them building fitness first. And then if they need to go into the specific work, then generally it gets kind of closer to the race. Now there's a caveat there. If it is a real weak spot that, you know, you need to work on, then we'll kind of do it earlier. Um, meaning like if you say, Hey, I'm a really weak climber, then we actually might throw you into, um, you know, doing interval work that is, um, you know, on an incline, or we might have you do some hikes earlier on in the training program because you also want to work on your weaknesses earlier from the event. So that's the little caveat on that. But if you are 
quote unquote strong in those areas or they're not a super focus point, you can do those closer, like in the, the last leading training blocks up to the race. Um, because that is kind of like the icing on the cake. When we think of like the hierarchy of needs, when it comes to training for an ultra and I'll kind of go through that hierarchy in another episode. Cause I think it's just super, super important to kind of know those things. Um, but anyways, um, that is what you would just want to focus on fitness. And so that's going to be the big thing. And again, if you like are weak in the area of vert and you want to train for it, even early in the training block, I'll tell you how to do that in the winter. Um, which is just, you know, something that's going to be really, really beneficial for sure. So, um, hope that helps to clarify that. So anyways, um, always know that fitness is king and that's going to be really, really good. So if you have to run on the roads in the winter or you have to run gravel roads, or if you have to run on the treadmill, just know that just getting fit and getting out there is going to inherently really move the needle for where you need to go for your next goal. So that's like the first thing. So don't be afraid to run on the roads. Don't be afraid to run on the treadmill. Don't be afraid to run on gravel roads if you need to. I even had one of my clients text me today who I had scheduled on a long run, on a long trail run. And he's like, hey man, there's snow dumping all over the place. Um, I can't get to the trail. And I just said, hey, like go on the gravel road. It's gonna lead to, it's gonna lead you to fitness. It's gonna be good, like go for it. And so that is, you know, something that I always like to say to, to not get people, um, you know, so riled up about like the specificity, right? So that's the thing, number one. And that again, goes beyond just winter training, but just training in general. Now, the next thing I do want to say, cause I went off on about this a little more is like, how do you get invert during the winter? If you don't currently have, um, access to trails, if you're in an area with a lot of snow or anything like that. Um, and this is also good for anyone for reference, if you're traveling as well, or if you're maybe, you know, in a location that doesn't even have a lot of vert in general. So this just even goes beyond, um, not getting invert just if you're in winter area. So even if you're in like Southern California, California or Phoenix and you we, you know we do thankfully have access to all these trails in the winter with vert here is something that you can do uh, in substitute so I'll give you one option uh, with a treadmill and then one option without a treadmill and by the way, just as a preface, next week we're actually doing a whole episode on how to get in training for vert, even if you live in a flat area. And spoiler alert, the, the principle on fitness is king does matter, but we're going to get really tactical into how to actually train for vert um, when you live in a flat area. And some of the principles will apply from this episode, but we'll do more in-depth stuff next week on that as well. But this is going to be um, what will work well if you are in the winter. Now, um, here is kind of like the protocol. So in the winter, and this even goes for if you're in an area with like snowy roads or anything like that and even if like this the ice is just a bound on the road and you can't even run outside um the treadmill is going to be your friend and usually it is not the friend for a lot of us it is not the friend for a lot of us so i totally understand that and so let me just flip your perspective on the treadmill for one second here because i know a lot of you are probably hearing that and you're like oh my gosh i don't want to be on the treadmill i can't believe he's explaining this here's the thing why the treadmill is so good is because number one not only can you get the incline on it, not only can you get the vert, not only can you get the running, but let me tell you this, uh, it is going to build your mental toughness beyond belief because number one, it's usually something that most people don't like to do. And there's even a psychological phenomenon on a treadmill. And I know y'all have felt this before. I know I have that actually makes it feel like you're on the treadmill longer for the duration that you're running. Meaning like if you are running three miles, right, it might actually feel like you've been running 
for like five miles mentally because this stagnation kind of effect of you just kind of being in the same spot um, really just kind of throws our brain for a loop. So it is really good mental training because it allows you to kind of be in this place where you, you know, are in something that you don't enjoy and you ultimately get into this kind of place where like you're able to handle the monotony and you're able to handle like the feeling of, you know, just being out there for seemingly longer periods of time. And ultimately, um, you know, you get to have your resolve uh, in there in itself by strengthening on the treadmill. So just being in that phase where you can do the treadmill um, is going to be helpful. And so I'm talking this specific for vert. If you can run outside and, you know, you can run on the roads or even if the trails are dry and you're living in an area with trails, I always suggest going outside for sure. But if you can't, then the treadmill is going to be the friend and just reframe this as, okay, I'm doing this as like a mental exercise and it's going to help me. That's going to help you to see more of the benefit on there. And then also too, it's going to make you appreciate running outside a lot more. Now, if you're on the treadmill, right, I, I highly suggest getting an incline treadmill or getting access to an incline treadmill, one with an incline, because then you can build in um, specific vertical incline into your runs as well. Now, I'm not saying you have to do all of your runs on your long runs, I should say, or even just all your runs in general on the treadmill. You could really just incorporate this one drill for two times a week to really get in some vertical specific training and it can help. And that is treadmill doubles. So treadmill doubles are a great, great exercise. And you don't even have to do these as doubles. You can actually do these as just regular workouts that you do twice a week or once a week. And basically why it's called a double is because intentionally like when the workout was created and this was uh, created by David Roche and Megan Roche, um, they really intended to make this as a second workout on the day, hence why it's called treadmill doubles. But again, if you don't want to do doubles and you only have time for one workout a day, this could be one that could be useful twice a week. So basically what you do is you do like a, you know, five to 10 minute warm up or 15 up to, I would say about 15 minute warm up, easy pace on the treadmill, nothing to it, just getting the body warm. Then for about 15 to 20 minutes, depending on the duration, how comfortable you are on an incline on the treadmill, that's anywhere between 10 to 15%, um, you are going to go ahead and just run as as you can consistently at a speed that's, you know, pretty good for you that gets your blood pumping um, in a way for 15 to 20 minutes. And so that can be like a pace where you can continuously be able to handle those things, but you feel like you're pushing it. Now, this could be a power hike if you're at the stage where you're just, you know, needing to transition from the hike to the run, and that's totally okay. You just want to target an intensity where you're going to be breathing pretty hard, but you feel like you can sustainably handle for 15 to 20 minutes, right? Continuously. Now, when you do this at short amounts of bursts twice a week, um, what you're doing is you're inherently not only building your uh, your your system inside your body to be able to go faster up these climbs, but you're also also training your legs to get the turnover and the efficiency that it needs to climb up those hills as well. And you better believe after this, your legs might be burning a little bit as well. So you get to condense a lot of vertical specific work in just 15 to 20 minutes by doing this workout twice a week or so on and so forth, right? So uh, I did this exercise many, many times when I was training for the Canyons 100K and it helped me a ton um, during the race there because generally I'm more of a flat runner. Um, I have trained for obviously mountain races like Canyons before and um, that helped me a ton in that um, scenario for sure. So 
treadmill doubles, doing those twice a week and utilizing those in the winter are great. And again, if you utilize those twice or even three times a week, you don't even have to like do the treadmill for your long runs and include the ups and downs and everything like that. Now, if you want, if you're open to it, you can do your long runs on the treadmill. And I do suggest, you know, adding in some inclines or, um, you know, different kind of grades throughout the run. And like, I know a lot of treadmills have settings where they can like incorporate those at random for you, which I totally suggest doing um, if you're open to that. But again, I know that the treadmill, like, listen, as much as I say the treadmill builds mental toughness, I'm not saying you have to go out on a three hour treadmill run um, and do that. Shout out to one of my clients. So one of my clients actually did a four hour um, run on the treadmill with 4k of gain. So I know if you're listening to this, shout out, shout out to you. Uh, shout out to you. Uh, my amazing client for doing that, like seriously impressive. Um, but um, really doing that two times a week is going to be useful just to get that climbing in as well. And then even if you don't do the long runs and you want to get even more, what I also suggest is like spending, you know, an hour, 30 minutes, 30 minutes to an hour one time a week if you can, ideally the days after your long run where you're just going on and just hiking on that treadmill for like an hour. And like you can put on like a a video, a movie or something like that, right? Like you can put on something to kind of have you on there. But if you put that hiking thing, like that hiking motion on there for 30 minutes to an hour, that's going to help with some of the power hikes and inclines that you might be doing during your upcoming race as well. So um, when I trained for Zion 100, my first 100 miler, I would do a long run on Saturday and then Sunday, I would always do a two hour hike. Now, if I was doing that in the winter in an area that was cold, what I would do is instead of doing that two hour hike in the mountains of Phoenix, where I was at, um, I would just, uh, you know, go on the treadmill, um, honestly for two hours. And I would just hike up and down that thing and just like keep a constant incline and then just, uh, kind of keep it going there to practice that hiking and uphill efficiency. So that's another way too. If you know that during your race, you're probably going to be doing a lot of power hiking and things like that. So Now, that's if you have access to a treadmill, which if you don't have access to a treadmill at home, I highly suggest getting a gym membership and then utilizing that. And then also you can use the gym membership for strength training or anything else like that too. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It can be like a Planet Fitness or something like that. Like it doesn't have to be anything too, too nuts, right? So... Um, anywho, um, but it, let's just say you don't have access to a treadmill or you don't even want to use the treadmill. Um, my always next bet is to do a similar thing, but find like a hill near you or like even just like a road. If you're like not in a totally snowy area where you can just like really just get uphill incline, um, on a way that is going to simulate like a treadmill kind of grade, like a 15%, 10 to 15% kind of grade and just kind of run up it. So so I'll give you an example. So I'm currently at my uh, my parents' house in New York, um, visiting my family after my father passed away. Um, so I had a hill repeat workout scheduled for last Tuesday, and uh, I didn't have I don't have access to a gym out here, so no treadmill. We have no treadmill here, um, and it was 10 p.m. at night, so I couldn't uh, go to the trails, and or I just didn't feel comfortable going to the trails, especially ones I didn't know late at night. So um, right outside my parents' house, there is a t- like. I think it's like a 12% grade hill, just a road, just a really short road. Um, and basically I just did my hill repeats up and down on that. And, uh, yeah, that was my workout and yeah, it kind of sucked. Like, yeah, it was not that fun, but it was what I had to do in that scenario. So, um, that is something that you can do similar and you can even do like something like treadmill repeats, but, or sorry, treadmill doubles, but you can more so train them like hill, hill repeats because with the treadmill, you get that continuous access on it. Whereas if you're doing hill repeats, you've got to come down as well. So you can do hill repeats where you're running up the hill and then down and running up the hill and down and just kind of structuring it in that way where you can get that into. Now, if let's just say you don't have access to hills and you don't have access to uh, anything. And again, this is kind of going into the episode on vert training during, um, 
or in an area where you don't have access to vert. Um, but your next best option uh, would be just doing some traditional speed workouts, even if it's on flat. And so um, we'll go into a whole thing with interval training, but um, in another episode as well, we got tons of episodes coming up as you can know, but um, if you just focus on doing speed intervals, um, you know, even on flat ground, that fitness, it will inherently boost your fitness and speed. And also think about it too, when you're running really, really fast, what you're doing is you're breathing really, really heavy. And think about when you're climbing up a hill, you're breathing really heavily. So you're targeting that same intensity that you usually get when you're going uphill. And so by running on flats, even though muscularly, it might not exactly translate one-to-one from a fitness perspective, it would. So doing some speed workouts, if you can outside on the roads is a beneficial thing as well. So again, we'll go more in depth on this on the episode that we're going to have next week, but those are just some options on how to train for vert when you're in the winter itself. Now, let's talk about the cold, right? Let's talk about the cold weather and running outside in the cold weather. And so this applies again to everyone because listen, sometimes in Phoenix, it gets like to low forties. And to me, that is chilly. And I know a lot of you people on the East coast or in Canada or in really cold climates, wherever you're at, you're probably listening to me and like, Joe, you are an absolute baby. And you know what? Yes, I am. And uh, I don't do well in the cold. And so, um, so just know that this applies to anyone, but there are kind of some some rules of thumb that you really want to think about when you're running in the cold. So um, the first thing is you want to notice the temperature that's outside because if it goes below 10 degrees Fahrenheit, um, there's actually a risk of you like causing some slight damage to your lungs when you're out there. Now I know this sounds like I'm just like fear mongering and just kind of peddling some things as well, but um, this is this is a reality. And I remember I used to live in Wisconsin where it would frequently get below um, 10 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit and I would run outside and a lot of these things and like negatives and things like that and uh, I remember just having some some issues sometimes like breathing or just kind of you know just not really feeling well from a lungs perspective and that's when I was looking into the research a little bit more and you can actually dry out your lung passiveways by like really like getting into these areas that have like this cold kind of dryness so to say. Um, that is going to, you know, get in there as well. Now, if it is a little bit more humid outside, um, it does alleviate this as well, but usually 10 degrees Fahrenheit tends to be a pretty chilly and arid kind of temperature itself. So um, just know that like if it does go below 10 degrees Fahrenheit, it might actually be best to run on the treadmill or things like that if you can, um, just so you can protect your lungs in the best way possible. Now, it's not always a rule of thumb. If you just go out there like one or two days when it's below 10 degrees, it's not going to lead to a dramatic effect, but the repeated kind of things will definitely have an impact on your lungs. So if it's like continuously like minus 10 or not minus 10, well, if it is minus 10, I guess this rule would apply, but if it is continuously below 10 degrees, um, I would probably switch some days out with some treadmill running just so you can protect your lungs from getting too beat up from the cold weather itself. So just something to think about when you're running in the cold is to, you know, it might be good to have those treadmill days. And even if you don't have access to the treadmill and you have to do things outside and maybe you have been running in below 10 degrees for a little bit, it might be useful just to take a rest day on a specific day. And if you're looking at the weather and you see that it is going to, um, you know, be a little bit warmer another day, you can switch your schedule around to be able to run on those days. And maybe you take that day where it is below 10 degrees Fahrenheit as a rest day. So um, just something to think about on that regards. Um, but again, you know, if you run one day, under 10 degrees, it's not going to do anything. It's more the repeated exposure. Um, it's kind of similar. I wouldn't say it's one-to-one similar because they're kind of different, but it's almost like when you're running in an area that has a high AQI or in other words, air quality index. So 
air quality index, right? If there's a lot of smoke in the air, a lot of pollution, if you're running in that for long periods of time or like repeated periods of time, it can do some serious damage to your lungs. Um, but if you're running it one time, it's not going to be the end of the world. And like, I listen, if it is high AQI, I'm, I'm saying don't run in it, but let's just say, I'll give you an example. There was that time this year in New York where there was like record high AQI from the fires in Canada. And I had no idea this was happening, like literally, because I flew in for a business trip and um, I woke up in the morning. I I didn't check the news. I didn't check the weather. I didn't check anything. I just put on my, my clothes and I went out and started running. And uh, I noticed, I was like, oh man, like I'm kind of like breathing a little weird and a little heavy. And then I remember coming into the hotel and seeing like a TV screen that was like, don't go outside, record high AQI, like apocalyptic. And I was like oh shit and the rest of the day i was kind of coughing up but like long-term effects at least to my knowledge i didn't have it so i'm not saying it's permissible to go do it but if you do it accidentally it's not going to be detrimental um but it's the repeated exposure over time that can happen so um it's similar to that kind of effect so if you're in an area with a lot of wildfires you know what i'm talking about so it's kind of like a similar principle with that. Like you wouldn't run outside if the AQI was so, so high. So similar to if you're in a cold area, you wouldn't continuously run outside if it's negative 10 degrees or you really shouldn't Fahrenheit that is. Um, so just to keep a tabs on that. Now, um, that's that's the one thing on the cold weather. Now, if you can run in the cold weather, even if it's above uh, 10 degrees Fahrenheit, for sure, I should say that's the preferred thing. Um, you want to make sure that you are bundled up for sure. Make sure that you are bundled up because um, one of the things that can really happen out there is, um, I mean, you can freeze, like you can get really, really cold. And sometimes what will happen is, and I've had this happen to me multiple times, is you might be running and then all of a sudden you can get like sweaty. And then it, like, let's just say maybe you stop or maybe you, you get like a pit stop somewhere or maybe you like see someone on the road or something that you know and you're having a conversation or maybe you have to take the like go to the bathroom whatever like you might stop at some point um if you stop and your body heat goes down a little bit and you're a little underdressed and you're soaked um you can actually like really like freeze pretty quickly and actually this is something at Havelina 100 the first year that I learned and and it's not even that cold at Havelina at night it's like you know low fifties. Um, but I remember I was like soaking myself all day and like, I was super sweaty and like all this kind of stuff. And I remember getting into the nighttime and I was still wearing a t-shirt and shorts, which most times for like under, like for, for like 50 degree weather, right? Like you're fine. and wearing t-shirt and shorts. I do that all day. But, um, yeah, I, I remember I was shivering coming out of those aid stations whenever I stopped. When I was running, I was fine. But when I stopped, I remember I was getting like really shivery and just like really, really cold. And so the one thing you want to do is like, you know, you don't want to like go out there dressed in like nothing. Um, you want to have some layers on there, but like don't like overheat yourselves. But just, I would always say like, if you're worried about taking on a little bit more than you need to, um, I would always go with a little bit more because you can always strip down, but you can't always go up. So, um, like usually you can't take extra stuff with you as much. I mean, you can, if you have like a pack and you have things in there. Um, but I always say it's better to err on the side of caution because gosh forbid something happens where, you know, you do stop out there and you are sweaty. Um, you don't want to risk getting into hypothermia or anything like that, or you don't even want to risk like being super, super cold because that is, um, just something to just kind of think about for sure. So, um, just something to, to, go from like a safety perspective on that as well. The other thing I do want to mention, and this also applies to everybody, even if you're in like a warm climate area because it does get cold out in the morning, is that when you are in the colder weather, um, it actually can... Um, potentially um, lead to uh, more stiffer muscles and tendons and joints. And so um, think about when 
you're doing a lot of like hot therapy, like sauna or a hot tub or anything like that, like that heat can really help to like loosen up muscles and everything like that. And sometimes when it's cold outside, those things can tend to stiffen up a little bit more. I know for me, like I'm very prone to this. Like when I um, get into colder weather, like my muscles really react better to heat. And so sometimes I know that I have potentially a higher, um, you know, susceptibility to tight muscles or things like that. So the in the winter, I always say it is, if you can fit it in your schedule to tr- like, and again, I say, if you can, fit in your schedule. If you can't, it's not a huge deal, but something to think about is incorporating at least one day of strength training per week. Um, and if you are already doing one day of strength training and you can up it up a little bit more, um, I would potentially do that as well. Now caveat on strength training. If you can't fit it in your schedule, it's not going to be a make or break thing. It's a nice thing to do in terms of injury prevention, but I know how busy ultra running is and the science, you know, just shows that, you know, if you have to forego it, um, it's not going to be the end of the world. However, for from an injury uh, prevention perspective, it can really help. So caveat on that. So if you currently have a pack schedule, you don't have to add it in, but if you have a little bit more time to do so, um, and you also do know that maybe, Hey, like, yeah, I, I do get a little bit more stiff in the cold weather. It can be useful to increase your strength training a little bit more. And the reason why that is, is because if your muscles get a little bit more tight and condensed, um, that can leave you more of a risk for injury. And usually that has to do there's so many different factors that go into it, but one of the things that go into it is that, you know, your muscles aren't strong enough to handle the load that you were giving it. So by going out and doing um, eccentric strength training and loading your muscles at least once a week, that should be able to give it the durability to be able to be more resilient in those cold temperatures. So I know for me, when it comes to the winter, um, I generally like to bump up my strength training a little bit more to two times a week. Um, granted, I just started coconut training and I've been here in New York and my schedule has been incredibly busy with just family managers as my father passed away. And then also, um, just, just coaching business and everything like that. And so, um, for me right now, just because I have the busy schedule, um, when I get back to Phoenix is when I'm going to resume the strength training. So still following my own rule by saying like, Hey, if you've got a busy schedule and you can't get it in, not the end of the world, but I know when I get back to Phoenix next week, I will be definitely on a two times a week strength training protocol and regimen on there. But just to know that, um, you know, it's a good time for you to double down on strength if you can, because you can be more susceptible to like little things popping up and like little aches and pains and things like that. So just know that too. And even if it's not strength training, getting in some sort of extra recovery, like a hot tub or a sauna or things like that, generally, uh, the studies do show that a lot of heat is good for you too. Um, I know there's a lot of things on like cold therapy plunges and things like that too. Um, that's beyond the discussion for this, this as well, but just know that like recovery or strength training protocols could be more useful inside the winter for sure. The other thing that's also a really, really big thing to know in the winter is that, um, because it's colder outside, and this goes for, again, any kind of climate, because it's colder outside, it's going to feel like you're not going to need as much water. I remember when I was training for um, Black Canyon 100K, which is here in Arizona. Um, so when I was doing the sections that were more higher up, so like the race starts a little higher up and then it kind of descends down. Um, I remember I went to, I did like a 20 mile long run and um, the race itself. So I mean, or not the race, but the trailhead starts pretty high up. And I remember the temperature, I think was like 39 degrees when it started. So 
that that's really cold for Arizona. Um, and so the run was pretty cool, but all I had was like, I think I had like a liter of water, like the entire time, but I never really felt super thirsty because it was cold. But I just remember like after that run, I felt like totally wonked, totally. I was like, oh man, like I definitely did not drink enough water and blah, blah, blah. And so, um, just know that like your body is still sweating. It's still losing sodium, even if you're not as thirsty or feel like you're not as dehydrated. So I would say like, don't hydrate to the point like where you would in like hot summer months, because you might be overdoing it slightly, but still keep in mind that you'll still need to drink water and take electrolytes even in the cold months as well. Because one of the biggest things that a lot of people do is they, they assume that, hey, I don't really need as much water because it's cold. Yes, true, compared to a very hot day, that's true. But sometimes people swing it all the way to, I don't need any water on this two hour long run. Um, I always say for runs that are more than 60, I take water on all my runs, by the way. But um, just because I do believe that every it is pretty beneficial to have in water on all of your runs. But any run, I would say at the, the very, very least, that's more than 60 minutes, you should be carrying something with you outside, like water or anything like that. And so um, even just because it's cold and just because you don't feel like you're thirsty, keep drinking throughout the run. And generally, like my rule of thumb that I like to do, and usually what's seen as a pretty optimal way, like to get in hydration all in an even way, is you know every single 20 minutes, make sure you're getting in some fluids, right? And then obviously you can sip between those 20 minutes and everything like that, but don't just go to like, you know, 30 minutes without drinking anything. You want to be sure that you're getting in constant fluids, even in those places as well, because not only is it going to keep you more hydrated, but it's also going to increase your performance as well. Because sometimes people say, I don't train as well in the winter. I feel kind of crappy. And I'll always ask, I'll be like, well, what are you usually drinking out there? And they'll be like, well, I went on a two hour long run and I didn't really need any water. So I didn't drink anything and I felt crappy. And I say, well, maybe it's not the winter. Maybe it's the fact that you had no water out there, right? So um, just know that like, even though the winter months are colder, you still want to be dialed in with your hydration and the nutrition and yeah, nutrition too, but hydration mostly and sodium intake and electrolytes, all that and so on and so forth. Now I did a whole episode on hydration and uh, electrolyte strategy. So definitely give that a listen if you want to kind of do a deep dive on there. But just know that for the sake of the winter stuff, like don't skimp out on the hydration. Seriously, it's going to be super helpful for you to have those things. Now, the other thing I will also say is when it comes to gear, um, I like to say, and this is especially for like the really cold climates, um, getting a handheld over a bladder is or at least bottles, like soft flask bottles over bladders are going to be more useful and beneficial. And here is why. When I was running in Wisconsin, there would be many a days where I would have a bladder and the tube would freeze. It would totally freeze. And when that thing freezes, you can't get any water out of there unless you actually stop and take out the bladder and take a sip for it. Or you like, you know, hold the bladder in your hands and or the pipe or the tube in your hands and try and melt the thing. And like, no one has time for that, especially on a long run. So from a gear perspective, I always suggest using soft flasks or bottles, um, you know, in the winter, because that's, that's likely not going to freeze. Whereas like the tube on your, um, hydration bladder can have a very high chance of freezing in, uh, sub freezing temperatures for sure. Especially like if you're in, you know, an area like the Midwest or like the East coast or things like that, this doesn't actually apply to so many people in like more of the warmer climates, but definitely for those really, really cold climates like Montana, any of those things like that. Um, <coughs> excuse me, um, you will definitely want to 
probably go with more soft flasks and bottles and handhelds um, as opposed to just bladders. And if you need more water supply, then like either bring more like uh, handhelds or not handhelds, but bring more soft flasks with you inside your vest. Or if you know that there's a water refill point, go ahead and do it. And one even hack that um, I like to do when it's snowy outside is I'll take like one of those like handheld bottles with a filter in it. And I would just like scoop up snow and like put the snow inside that water bottle. And then basically the snow will melt. And then once the snow melts, you put it through the filter and then it's going to be all good. So there's a little hack for you too. There's, there's a lot of different filter bottles out there. I really like Hydropax um, filter bottle. Like that one is my favorite by far. Um, so, uh, but yeah, Hydropack is, is the one that I like to go to for sure. Um, but anyways, um, so just a little Christmas gift if you want to kind of dive into that. But that's like a cool little hack that I like to do inside of the winter for sure. Now, um, that is the, the waterfront on there. Now, the last thing I'll kind of touch on with winter training is if you are in a place that is super snowy, but you still want to get out on the trails and you still want to run around on there, um, my always suggested piece of advice to get is is getting a set of micro spikes. So micro spikes are just kind of like this like add-on that you can put on on the bottom of your trail running shoes and you can go ahead and um, basically like add on almost like they're not like crampons but they're basically like metal spikes onto your shoes and what they do is they give you a lot more protection and slip protection on an area with a lot of snow or ice um so that you can run in a way that's you know not going to kill yourself. I, I shouldn't say you know, I mean, be, be cautious in certain areas, but it's going to protect you a lot more from slipping and falling and all that kind of stuff as well. So getting a good pair of micro spikes, um, is definitely something useful on there. Now in full transparency, um, I've only used micro spikes once or two times in the grand Canyon and they weren't even mine. So in terms of brand recommendations, um, I, I just full faithly can't give a good brand recommendation because I haven't used them to the fullest. I've only used them a couple times in my life, um, in the snow in the grand Canyon, but there are tons of different brands out there with micro spikes, but I highly suggest that if you are in an area that's really snowy and you want to get out on the trails, um, investing in a pair of those are going to be super, super useful to use for sure. And they're also good to have in case, you know, you are signed up for a race with high elevation and, you know, let's just say for whatever reason, it gets a ton of snow, which certainly happens in the mountains. You can use depending on the course, not all, you know, courses you like Western States, you can't use them. They're, they're, they're not allowed at Western States, but, um, you know, some races do allow you to have them. And so if you are, and you have that pair, you can actually use those to your advantage to have them out there. Um, another thing like gear wise that I can suggest for the winter too, is, um, if like some models, not all models of trail running shoes, they do have like a Gore-Tex option and that can be extremely beneficial because if you have a Gore-Tex option shoe, it actually prevents your feet from getting way wet. And sometimes when you get wet feet from the snow, which is almost inevitable, um, your, your feet can come back like icicles and just totally frozen. And like, it's a very unpleasant feeling. Like I don't like cold feet at all. Like that's like one of my biggest, like kind of pet peeves or kind of areas I don't, don't necessarily, or I, I try to avoid when I'm running for sure. But I know running in the snow, it's, it's pretty much unavoidable. So to mitigate that effect, getting a pair of like Gore-Tex kind of shoes can really, really help you to prepare for those wintry kind of months, because it does give this extra layer of like waterproof because Gore-Tex is waterproof. It does give you this extra layer of like waterproof resistance that, you know, won't get your feet as soaked or completely wet um, as is like a normal trail running shoe with a more thinner upper wood. So just from like a gear perspective, there's that as well. Um, won't give any like, again, most of your favorite kind of trail running brand shoes usually will have a Gore-Tex option. 
so just know that like that is something I know Nike does Hoka does all these different brands uh, they usually have Gore-Tex options so something to think about you know when it comes to um you know looking for um extra shoe kind of wear inside of the winter as well um so that's that and then the last thing I'll kind of say in regards to like winter training is like you know I would say like if you have a race in the like summer and like things that you're training up for, like you can really use the winter to focus on either just like fitness building or, um, you know, if you want to do speed work, like you can do speed work during this phase, like early on, like, I think it's like really one of those times where, you know, you can work on the things that maybe you just, you know, wouldn't be working on in the summer when you have access to the trails and the mountains and, you know, a lot more kind of things that, you know, you'd have a little bit more, um, ability to get access to. Um, and I'm not saying you can't do speed work in the summer or things like that, but I'll give you an example, uh, you know, in Phoenix, right. Even if, you know, like Phoenix is warm still in the winter, but doing speed work in the summer in Phoenix, I mean, just sucks. And so um, even if you're in a East Coast or Midwest climate, sometimes doing speed work in hotter weather is going to have a detrimental effect. So you can work on those things that maybe are kind of harder in the summer, in the winter, right? So speed work is one of those things. Doing base mileage, right? Doing like low and slow and easy mileage because maybe like you want to do these insane mountain runs in the summer and things like that, right? So think about the things that you're like, what are the things that like I'm going to really work on in my peak training in the summer that I'm able to do in the mountains that um, maybe like I won't want to do as much kind of into the winter kind of phase and period on there. So, and that's where you can kind of build those things on top of it. So like for me, it's a lot of like the speed work. I know for me, I'm building a speed work phase pretty much leading up into Cocodona for like January and February and then uh, early February that is. And then from like February, February, March and April, it's going to be a lot more of like the endurance work and trail work and all that kind of stuff as well. So just know that like you can always structure your training around that. And I highly suggest that just so you get a full rounded training block as opposed to just, you know, kind of doing the low and slow and easy mileage, like all year round, you kind of can get some blocks and work on those things that, you know, maybe aren't as enjoyable or aren't even as like effective to do in the hotter kind of temperatures. So just something to think about on there. Well, that's it, everybody. That is winter training for ultra runners, the tips, the guidebook, the strategies on how to keep your training solid in the winters, despite the cold weather. Now, if there's anything I didn't cover on here that I could add on here, or if you had any questions, feel free to shoot me a DM on Instagram at Joe Corsione, and I'll be happy to, you know, potentially do another episode or a part two episode, just talking about, um, all these things as well, if I missed anything. Um, but just know, I want to make sure that you're covered for the winter. So if there's anything I missed on here, please let me know. And I'll be happy to do so and uh yeah i hope your winter training goes great all right everybody thank you so much for listening happy holidays to all of you from the everyday ultra fam to you and remember my friends be a better endurance athlete every day even in the winter and we'll talk real soon and see you on the next episode